I know I asked you this at the uh, beginning of our study, but I want to ask this question again, seeing how Christmas is just a few weeks out. How many of you all are getting into the Christmas spirit? Raise your hand. All right, wow, quite a few. That's awesome, all right. You know, it's, it, it's funny how you have different responses when you ask this question, depending upon who you ask. You have some who are all about Christmas, who begin thinking about Christmas in September and begin their Christmas shopping at the end of September and into October. And I can tell who some of you are in here right away, just by the way your hand shot up when I asked that question. I'm picturing that that Christmas probably threw up at some of your houses. Like musical chasing lights, sand out front, fake snow, the works. So some go all out. But there are others who are the exact opposite. They're anti-Christmas. They don't say Merry Christmas. They don't buy gifts and they keep to themselves this time of year. Remember in in Dickens' classic uh, Christmas Carol, Scrooge was in this camp, right? Remember in the story, Scrooge told his nephew, you keep Christmas in your way and you let me keep it in mine. And his nephew responded with, but you don't keep it at all. And Scrooge said, then let me leave it alone then. There are many in this camp who choose to leave Christmas alone this time of year, and they even get angry when the topic comes up. And then there's this third group, which I kind of call the whatever group, that are just sort of neutral when it comes to celebrating Christmas. They're not all about it, but they're not necessarily opposed to it either. And I I found that a lot of young people, singles, fall into this group. You'll ask them, hey, are you ready for, for Christmas? And they'll be like, yeah, whatever, you know. I'm glad I get out of school or, or off work, but, but whatever. So depending upon who you talk to, you have different responses to Christmas. And, and what we're going to discover this morning is that we see similar responses during the first Christmas as well. And we're going to talk about these different responses this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be camping out in verses 1 through 12 this morning. We are continuing our Christmas sermon series entitled Matthew's Christmas Story. And for the past two weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 1. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' royal family. And last week, we we discussed his miraculous conception. Well, in chapter 2, Matthew jumps forward a bit to tell about a few of the uh, events that take place just a few years after Jesus' birth. And something you, you find throughout chapter 2 is that as this, this buzz about Jesus is making its way to the surrounding areas, there is this mixed response when it comes to this key event in Christian history, the birth of Jesus. And this is nothing new, right? No. There's a, it, this has always been the way with Jesus. There have always been this this mixed response when it comes to the Christmas story and to the person of Christ. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at each of these responses to see what we can take away today from this text and apply in our world today. The first response you see is this, opposition. 
there was opposition to Jesus. Look at verse 1. Matthew tells us, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So in verse 1, Matthew tells us that these events take place during the reign of King Herod. Now Herod, as many of you know, was an evil king. And we don't just learn that from this story, though we do. But we learn it from historical sources as well. History tells us that Herod was evil. He was a wicked ruler. Here's how evil Herod was. Sources tell us that that he was known for having killed one of his wives and two of his sons because he was suspicious of them. Because he believed that they were trying to take his throne. So his paranoia and his obsession with power led to him killing one of his wives and and two of his kids. Caesar Augustus said of Herod, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. Meaning it's easier to survive in the household of Herod if you're one of his pigs rather than being one of his own children. This is how wicked he was. And the reason why is because he valued and loved his throne more than anything else. This was his number one priority, his first love, his kingship, and his power. And he he didn't think twice about taking out anyone, no matter who they were, if they were a threat to his rule. Now, here's what's interesting about Herod. Though Herod at the time was functioning as king of the Jews, he himself was not a Jew. Herod was not a descendant of Jacob. He was a descendant of Esau. Herod was an Edomite. Yet he was appointed by Roman government to rule over the Jews. So Herod is the king of Israel in title, but he himself is not a Jew. He was not in the royal line. And that point is very important in our story for today. Look at verse 2 again. Notice that when the Magi come and ask about Jesus, they ask, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? You see that word born? That's key. Again, Herod was not born king of the Jews. He was appointed by Rome. And here come these wise men from the east, and and they're, they're asking, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? So picture this. You have this appointed king of the Jews who is not even Jewish, who loves his rule more than anything else. And then you have these group of men who come in and they say, Hey, Herod, where's the true king? We've heard that there has been someone who has been born king of the Jews. Now, how do you think that sat with Herod? Who loved his throne more than life itself. Who loved it so much that he killed one of his wives and two of his sons to keep it. How do you think... Herod is going to respond to these foreigners who come in and say, hey, we've heard rumors and we have received word that there is one who has been born king of the Jews. How do you think he's going to take that? 
news. Not very well, right? He's the king. And it's his throne. And he's not okay with the baby born that they're going to call king of the Jews. So what he does in response to this news is, Herod devises a, a wicked plan. Matthew tells us of this plan later on in this chapter. We'll discuss that in just a moment. But before we do, skip down to verse 7. Look at verse 7. Matthew says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now those of y'all that know the rest of the story know Herod has no plans of worshiping this baby, right? But the wise men didn't know that at the time. It's not until later in the story that Matthew tells us that, that these wise men were warned in a dream not to go back and report to Herod because he had evil intentions. Instead, they're told to go back home a different way, and that's what they do. And, and down on, on down in verse 16, we see when Herod learns that he's been tricked by these wise men, he becomes furious. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So we see here how truly wicked Herod is. And the real reason for him wanting to know where Jesus was. He, he wanted to kill him. In this passage, we're told that Herod was so furious that he had been tricked by these wise men and was so furious with the fact that there's this baby out there that people are calling king of the Jews that he does the unthinkable. He doesn't just try to track down this one baby, but says, I'm going to show the Jews who's really the king. I'm going to take out all the baby boys around this baby's age. Parents, can you imagine living in that time period? under his rule. Herod says, I'm going to take out all the male children that are two years of age and under. Again, probably he, he does this for two reasons. One, to make sure that he gets his man, but two, to show the Jewish people that there's not going to be any child that's going to come up that is going to take his throne. Now, why two years of age and under? Notice at the end of verse 16, this was the, the uh, uh, taken from the information that Herod had received from the wise men. So Matthew indicates to us that, that roughly two years has passed since the birth of Jesus. So Herod is, is going off of that information and he is, he is trying to locate and get rid of this child. So what we learn from Herod here in this story is he is strongly opposed to this baby. You know, something I was thinking about a few weeks ago, and you probably will think this is silly, but uh, it did come to mind because it's Christmas time. You know, I was thinking, you know what? Herod was the first Scrooge, wasn't he? He was the first Grinch. Now, he was a lot worse than those two characters, but he was. He was the first to try and do away with Christmas. And like I said at the beginning, there are many like him today. Many Scrooges, many, many Grinches, many Herods out there opposed to Christmas today. This past week, 
I started thinking about uh, real examples from our world and, and what immediately came to mind were the Christmas wars that take place each and every year. There are stories we hear about each and every year at this time of year about people who are trying to remove Christ from Christmas. And one example I, I heard about happened a, a few years ago, and it's a story about a school who uh, a school that would not allow their, their students in the school play to sing, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. So they changed the words. I don't know why they did that and didn't just sing another song, but they did. So they changed the words from, We Wish You a Merry Christmas to, We Wish You a Swinging Holiday. Sounds pretty lame, doesn't it? <laughs> not very catchy, right? And that's just a silly example, but, but, but you get the point, right? There are many today who are opposed to Christmas. Why is that? What offends people? What angers people at this time of year? I think one of the main reasons that many are opposed to Christmas today is, is for the same reason that Herod was opposed to it 2,000 years ago. Why was Herod opposed to this story and to Jesus? Why was he opposed to this story of Jesus' miraculous conception in virgin birth? And why was he against this child who people said was born king of the Jews? Get this. It's because Jesus <clears throat> was a threat to Herod's throne. He was a threat to Herod's throne. Herod was the king. And he wanted things to stay that way. He didn't like anyone who was going to come along and was going to threaten his rule, which is why he was opposed to Jesus. And guess what? That's the same reason why many in our world are opposed to him as well. Back in the 80s, there was a band called Tears for Fears. <laughs> they sang a popular song. I know you are thinking of it right now. Everybody wants to rule the world. And though I think that's a bit extreme, I think deep down there's a lot of truth to that title, right? I think deep down many of us are, are like that in that we want to be the ruler at least over our own world. Am I right? I think deep down, if we're honest, we would admit we want to be the king of our life. We want to be our own authority. Many don't like the idea of someone else coming in and taking their rule away which is why many are opposed to Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, he comes as the king. Scripture is clear. There's only one of two ways to take Jesus. Now, many try to take him in other ways. They look to him as sort of this Tony Robbins, self-help, make my life better Jesus. And they want to live their own way, but have Jesus too. They're self-help Tony Robbins guy. But that's not scriptural. Scripture says there's one of two ways to take Jesus. You either worship him and follow him and serve him as the king, or you reject him. For this reason, many reject him. And that's what we have here in Matthew 2. So there was opposition to Jesus. Second response to Jesus is found in Matthew 2 as well, and, and that is indifference. There was indifference to Jesus. 
In this passage, Matthew shows us that there was also a group of people who were unresponsive, uninterested, and indifferent to Jesus. And get this, this is the religious folks. The religious leaders, the priests, the teachers, the scribes. Isn't that interesting? Think about what happens here. You have these wise men who travel first to Jerusalem. They don't go directly to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem first, and they go to Herod, and they say, hey, we have heard about a baby who's been born king of the Jews. Can you tell us about him? Can you tell us where he is? Well, Herod doesn't know, but he wants to know, right? So he says, I'll bring in my religious leaders and ask them if they know. Look at Matthew 2, verse 4. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod calls in all of these religious people. He calls for them all, the chief priests, the scribes, everybody. And he asks them what they know about this king who is to be born king of the Jews. And notice the answer they give. They quote Micah chapter 5 that says that he is to be born in Bethlehem, the land of Judah. And they state the fact that, that this person who is to come is to be ruler and shepherd over God's people. Notice this. This is very interesting here. These religious people knew where Jesus was to be born. They knew the town. Verse 6, it was in Bethlehem. The, the, the religious leaders, they knew God's word. They were aware of the fact that there was to be a special baby to come and be born in Bethlehem. And guess how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? About six miles. Six miles away. Not that far, right? And you have to think that, that after two years, since Jesus' birth, they had to have heard rumors that started with the shepherds about the fulfillment of Micah 5, being just six miles away. And yet here they are hanging out in Jerusalem, completely indifferent to the goings-on in Bethlehem, sharing with this evil king about the prophecy of the birthplace of the Messiah. You have this incredible event that has taken place that shepherds and others have, have witnessed and have shared throughout the land. And you have these religious leaders sitting in Jerusalem six miles away doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Indifferent about the news. They were probably well aware of the stories and the rumors going around about this baby that was in Bethlehem, and yet they're completely indifferent. Let me show you where I see this in the text. Look at verse 3. Matthew says, When Herod the king heard this, the news about Jesus, that is, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Again, keep in mind what's happening here. These wise men have come from the east, and they come to Herod and they say, Herod, we hear that there's been someone who has been born king of the Jews. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled. And then notice at the end of verse 3, all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, why would all of Jerusalem be troubled by this news? It's understandable why Herod was, right? 
I've already talked about that. But why all of Jerusalem? Here's why I think. Because I think Herod was like mama. Let me explain what I mean. You heard the saying, if mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. I think Herod was like mama. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If Herod's troubled, so are we. That's, that was the Jews' mentality. Because Herod was such a wicked king. If he was troubled, they were going to pay the price for it. And they ended up paying the price for it, didn't they? No, they didn't want Herod to be unhappy. They, they wanted him happy so that their boat wouldn't get rocked. They didn't want anything too radical to occur. Instead, they wanted Herod to remain happy. Think about that. God was sending them a deliverer. He was sending the Jews a king, and you have these religious leaders sitting in Jerusalem telling Herod whatever he wanted to know, trying not to rock the boat. They probably wanted life to remain as it was, though it could have been much, much better. They would have rather had Herod happy and be a bit oppressed than to have someone new come along and life as they know it disrupted. Their mentality, I believe, was similar to the Jews in the Old Testament in the wilderness. Remember? After being oppressed by Pharaoh in Egypt, God comes in and he miraculously delivers them out of slavery and out of bondage. And they go out into the wilderness and God is getting ready to lead them into the land of promise. A beautiful land flowing with milk and honey. And what happens? They begin to complain. When their journey gets difficult, they say things like, man, it'd be better to be slaves in Egypt than to be out here in the middle of nowhere. That's the attitude, I believe, of many of the religious leaders during Jesus' earthly ministry. They didn't want their boat rocked. At this time, we don't get the sense that, that many, if any, were opposed to Jesus. That would come later. But they do seem to be indifferent, wanting things to stay the same in Jerusalem and, and for themselves and Herod to remain happy so that life will be good. You know, there are some things that we can be indifferent about. You know that? Some things we should be indifferent about. Let me give you an example. They announced the, the bowl schedule this uh, past weekend for college football and uh, there are many games that will be played that I, I'll be honest with you I could care less about really could for example in the famous Idaho potato bowl sounds funny even saying it doesn't it? the two teams that are playing are Toledo and Utah State now I could care less who wins that game I'm just being honest with you I mean, they could come out today and say that game's been canceled and I promise you I'm not going to lose a second of sleep over it. I'm indifferent to who wins that game and that's fine. I'm sure many of you are with me, right? No, any Toledo, Utah State fans? No, I, I apologize if there are because I just, I just went off on them. Sorry. But, but I'm, I'm indifferent about that. And there, there are some things that, that we can be in, indifferent about. But there are other things we cannot be indifferent about. Let me give you an example here. There is a uh, Puerto Rican man right now by the name of Jose Luis Miranda who is traveling around the country right now claiming to be the second coming of Jesus. And he's gained quite a following. Any of y'all familiar with this guy? Somebody? Yeah, yeah, you've seen, probably seen him on the news. They've done some segments on him. Now, if you were to stop me after church and say, hey, Graham, what are your thoughts on 
Jose Luis Miranda, what are your thoughts on that guy? How do you think I'm going to respond? What if I said to you, you know what? I don't really have an issue with what he's doing. And if whether people want to follow him or not, it doesn't make any difference to me. What if I said that? You look at me like I was crazy, right? I mean, how can anyone say that they're neutral to a guy like that? I mean, the claims that he's making, they're just too radical to, be, to, to, to leave you neutral. You can't come away from his story and say, you know what, I'm just sort of indifferent about the guy. You can't. And in the exact same way, you cannot come away from the Christmas story and from a person like Jesus and say that. You cannot come away from this story and come away from from reading about the claims that others made about Christ and that Christ made about himself and say, I'm just indifferent. He claimed to be God, the Savior of the world. You can't come away from a guy like that and just say, whatever, I'm indifferent. Remember the song by the Doobie Brothers? I bet you never thought you'd hear them come up in a sermon either. Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right. Remember that song? You can't have that kind of response to Jesus. His life and his teachings are just too extreme. They're too radical to leave one in a state of indifference. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are neutral when it comes to Jesus, if you say, you know, I'm not opposed to him, but but I'm not on board with him either. Jesus is is just all right. I, I urge you, to consider the claims he made about himself. And I encourage you to respond to him in faith. And know that Jesus himself said that those who are neutral are against him. The scriptures are are clear that the Lord is just as much opposed to people who are indifferent toward him as he is to people who are opposed to him. Jesus said, if you're not with me you're against me so I want to encourage you this morning if you haven't already to side with Christ don't stand against him by remaining neutral toward him but instead place your your trust and your faith in him and in him alone for salvation well we've seen two responses to Jesus we've seen opposition we've seen neutrality toward him But there's a third response that we see here in this text, and it's the response of worship. There was worship of Jesus. There were some who worshipped the child in the manger. This was the response of the, the wise men. They responded to the birth of Christ with worship. Now, who were these wise men? Some of your translations refer to them as magi while others refer to them as, as wise men. The Greek word used is, is magoi, which, which actually can mean a number of different things. Uh, it can mean magicians and astrologers. It can just refer to men of, of high intelligence. And it can also refer to uh, uh, men of great influence, which is why some refer, uh, thought that they were kings, you know, because men of great influence, kings. But, but the truth is, we, we don't know for sure. We really don't. That's a, that's a mystery. But we do know that they were men of high education. 
which is why they were called wise men. And, and they're the ones who really stir this thing up. In verse 1, we are told that they come from the east. Now, people don't know exactly where. Some believe it to be Persia. Others believe them to be Babylonian. We don't really know. And tradition also says that there were three because there were three gifts given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't know that either. I mean, we know that there was more than one, but there could have been as many as ten. We don't know. But here's the main point. Though those things are, are mysterious, what they do is obvious. And that's the main point. Notice their response. Look at Matthew 2, 9 through 12. Matthew tells us, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. Notice how they respond. In verse 10, they were overjoyed. In verse 11, they bowed down and worshipped him and brought him gifts. And in verse 12, they responded to God's revelation and they protected the child by returning home a different route and by not reporting back to Herod. Notice again the response. They seek him. They give to him. They respond to him. They worship him. Listen, this is key. Here's the irony of this great story. The irony is this. The people who are closest to Jesus are opposed to him. And the ones who are the furthest away are the ones who come to worship him. See, the religious leaders in that day, they were very close to Jesus in terms of proximity and in terms of, of their beliefs. They were about six miles away, and they were Jewish. So they were very close to Jesus in this way. They, like him, were descendants of Abraham. They, like Jesus, knew God's word and claimed to be followers of the one true God. They were very close to him in this way. Yet the irony is, you have these wise men who come from a world away in proximity, possibly two years' journey, and they're completely different from him religiously, yet they're the ones who come and worship Jesus. There is a very clear and simple application to be made here. I'm confident each and every week who don't know Jesus. You're very close to him in terms of proximity. Maybe you grew up hearing about him in the home. And in the church, and you've continued to attend church into your teens and into your adult life. Maybe you're close to him in terms of your beliefs. Maybe you grew up hearing the stories of the Bible, and you would say that you believe in the stories that are found in the scriptures, but you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. You've never come to the point in your life where you've turned over the reins of your life. You've never transferred your trust from self to Savior. If that's you here this morning, I have a very simple, clear, and true word from you from the Word of God. And it may be hard to hear, but I have to say it. Close won't cut it. Close won't cut it. 
You can't just be close to Jesus in terms of proximity and beliefs. You have to be one with Him through faith. That's key. That's key. So the question I leave you with this morning is this. Where are you in relation to Jesus? What's your response to Him? Are you cold toward Him? Are you opposed to Him like Herod? Are you like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were close in proximity and close religiously, but a world away spiritually because they were indifferent toward Him and unwilling to make Him Lord? Or is your response like that of the wise men who said, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see this child. I'm, 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 I'm willing to, to travel two years. I'm willing to take all that I have to give to Him. My desire is to, to come before Him and bow before Him and worship Him and I'm ready to risk my life to serve Him. Who are you in this story? The good news in this story is that it doesn't matter how close or how far away you are from Jesus, you can come to Him. You can come to Him. And I urge you today, if you have not, to respond to Him. Respond like the wise men. Come to Jesus. Place your trust in Him. Lay everything you have before Him and follow Him. Let's pray.